While you all are getting Bibles and they're making their way out of the room, I do want to give you a quick update. Those of you who've been around for a while, um, for whom Trinity is home, know that our lead pastor, Chris, has been away for um, a few weeks now, since August, taking some extended time for rest and renewal, for which we are uh, very thankful. And just want to let you all know that that time of rest is sort of now transitioning into him working with our bishop and our vestry, our head of vestry, John Pitt in particular, to trying to figure out how to ramp things back up towards normal and re-engage with ministry life and get back in the swing of things. And so uh, that's where he is now. We're so thankful for uh, this time away that he's had. I know that he is thankful. And the hope is that while we can't say exactly how long uh, these things take, we do hope that sometime in Advent in the next few weeks that um, he'll be back to preaching and I want to thank you all for your patience just in sort of giving the space that is needed there and know how hard uncertainty can be to sit with and how much we all want um, always to know more than we do. And we want you to know that we get it. We feel it too right alongside you. But um, God has been so faithful throughout this process. Um, you all have been very gracious and patient. We're so thankful for that. Our bishop, um, John Pitt, our best members have been so faithful and um, we're thankful to the Lord for what he's doing. And our commitment is to see this process through, to get things right. So thank you for bearing with us while we do that. All right. Let's read uh, together Psalm 146. And then we're going to pray and see what um, the Lord might say to us in these few moments we have together. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortals, in whom there is no help. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. Happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, we are this morning thankful. We do praise you, Lord, for the gifts of baptism and those who've passed through these waters, for the opportunity to lay hands of blessing, speak, Lord, what is true and right, good and lovely. Thank you, God, for a holy and sacred space. A reminder, Lord, that we are called and created, Lord, as holy things, holy people. So we ask you now, Lord, that you would be here with us in a way to make us holy, to sanctify us, set us apart in the ways that we need to be, Lord. Right the wrongs within us, Jesus. Help us to hear you and see you. Make us whole, Lord, where we need to be made whole. It's in your name, Lord, that we pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen. So 
November has been for us, as I think Sarah mentioned, historically a time for us to talk about the work and person of the Holy Spirit, to give space before we move into Advent, to think intentionally together about, like, who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? Um, how are we meant to know him, live life through him? And one of the ways, obviously, the primary ways that we experience the Holy Spirit is through prayer. And that can be tough because I think probably a lot of you, I mean, if you've been here through the studying Galatians, you know, Paul says it in the letter, like live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. The way that we live out this commitment and faith to Jesus is by the Spirit through him alone, that we really just can't do this in and of our own strength, just sort of according to the ways of the world. It won't work. The only way that we live out the gospel is through the Spirit of Jesus. So we can know that. We've seen it in Paul's letter. But oftentimes, I think for many of us, it's like, well, what does that look like? What does it mean for me to live by and walk by the Spirit? Practically speaking, so much of that depends on prayer, how we pray, the life lived in prayer. And I know, I don't have to like take a poll or be a prophet to know that for a lot of you, prayer probably feels like a struggle. And that's hard because it's like, man, I know that I'm meant to live my life with the Spirit. I also know that prayer is just like practically sometimes really tough. So I want you to know that we also know that. I struggle with that. We all do. This world seems at every turn built almost as if to oppose prayer. just doesn't make it easy. Your lifestyle, my lifestyle. And yet we believe that there is a really important invitation put in front of us by the Lord. As he invites us to live with the Spirit, he's also, I believe, inviting us to reconsider, rethink, maybe even reengage with how we pray. What does it look like? So we're going to spend the next three or four weeks or so in the book of Psalms, thinking together about prayer. And I hope that for some of you, there's an invitation to maybe pray differently than you have been. To, if you've, prayer's been a part of your life for a very long time, maybe to pray in new ways. And if you are someone who has just basically decided, I don't pray, I think it's something everybody else does, I just don't, well then maybe the Lord has something that he wants to do and say to you in particular, kind of invitation to make. So I want us to talk a little bit about the Psalms. Why the Psalms in connection to prayer? Why would we start there? And then say just a little bit about Psalm 146 in particular. So the Psalter or the Book of Psalms. Some of you are intimately familiar with it. You've been praying these Psalms your whole life. Others of you, not so much. And maybe even you avoid them because either they sound too angry or too hopeful. Either way, it's extreme, you know? It's like the one that we read this morning. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord at every turn. Or, you know, it's by the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept, the psalm that we read last week. And a lot of us live our lives probably somewhere in between. So I get it. Regardless of where you are, I mean, I love the psalms. I've been praying them for a long time now. They matter. They're really important. They are for us our school of prayer, have been for God's people for a long time. They are the hymnal and the prayer book of the church. And a long time before that, they were the hymnal and their prayer book for the Jews. These texts have molded and shaped our faith arguably as much as any part of your Bible. And they take up a lot of space in your Bible for that reason. There are 150 of them. So bookended, other side, they're sort of flanked by other parts of the Bible. But then there's this, you know, sort of middle portion, 150 psalms. Why so much real estate, you know? Anything that takes up that much real estate must be pretty important. So why are they there? There are a lot of reasons, a lot of things that we could say about the Psalms, but there's something that I want you to know or at least pay attention to. 
is that if you think about it, St. Athanasius put it this way. I have always held on to this. I think it's helpful. He was a 4th century Egyptian bishop, and he said this about the Psalms. He said, the rest of the scripture speaks to us. The Psalms speak for us. In other words, so much of the rest of the Bible are the stories of God. God saying things and doing things and us hearing those stories. The Psalms are this point in the Bible in which we are able to give voice to our experience of faith. What it's like to actually live it out. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That's why there's so many different kinds of them. And I think this is really interesting. That so much space would be given in the Bible to our own testimony. To our own voice. What does that tell us about the nature of faith? What does it tell us about who God is? Because I do think, part, apart from just like that being something to know... That there's like something theologically significant. Another way of saying something really important there that we're meant to latch on to. So a kind of Bible fact to back this up that I think connects these two things together. About this idea of the psalm being like our voice, our invitation to speak to or back to God. The first five books of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy... Those five books of your Bible are, are the Torah. They're the foundational text, not just of your Old Testament, but of your whole Bible. The books of Moses, so-called, so sometimes. When Jesus read the Bible, that was the Bible Jesus read, those first five books. These are the texts that laid the foundation, not just for Jewish faith or for Jesus' faith, but for all of us. God's word to us, big deal. In the Psalter, the book of Psalms, those 150 those psalms have also been grouped into five books or groups of psalms. Some of you will see this in your Bible as you're reading through. Book one, book two, you'll see the note. Maybe you've never noticed it before. But there are five groups of them. And here's why I'm bothering to tell you all that. Um, clearly, there's a message that the ancient rabbis were trying to signal, to send to us. Why have these five books of psalms mirror or match these five books of Torah? I think they were trying to say something about what faith is like. That if these first five books we're meant to understand are God the Father, Him who created us, calls us to faith, speaking to us, then the five books of the psalm are an answer. Us having the opportunity to speak back to God, to give voice to our own experience of faith. And that apparently that arrangement of God talks and we talk back is really important critically important that praying in other words is not just nice to do it's not just good to do for obedience sake but that actually something essential essentially important to what God wants to do in the world is bound up in those prayers in other words the fact that you have a voice that you're meant to use matters not just for your faith but for all of us and the reason that I'm making it a point to tell you that is because I think that a lot of us, because we struggle to pray and feel defeated in prayer, are not as a result living into our faith the way that we're meant to. We don't experience it the way that we're, the way that we're meant to. We feel either too defeated or too estranged from God, too much a stranger to act like a child. But maybe that's in fact what the Bible is trying to say, is that God has extended, in other words, a hand to you. If you think of the first five books of the Bible that way, it's like a five-fingered hand. God has reached out a hand. And the Psalms are the five-fingered hand of the other hand, reaching out to take hold of it. 
that that relationship, God makes a move, says something, extends a hand, and I am meant to answer, to reach out and take hold of it, to give voice to my own experience of faith, that I am formed in the process, and so are the people around me. In other words, the fact that you don't pray or that you struggle in your prayers and that it impacts your faith, I want you to know, matters to God. Not just because you're not doing what you should be doing, but because there are really and truly things that he wants to do in you and through you. That's the thing about the Bible. There's this mystery of God's sovereignty, him being all-powerful. That's true. The Bible upholds it. But then there's also this thread that runs right alongside that says, yes, and my life, my voice, my prayers really matter. They influence things and impact the world around me. So if I don't pray, it's not just that God feels disappointed. It's that something's lost. So can you hear from the Lord an invitation to you to say, it's not just that he's like, he's not disappointed or frustrated in you because you don't pray because you should to check the box. That actually, like a father to a child who longs to hear their child's voice is how God feels about you and your prayers, who longs to see his life lived out through you. Can I give you like a personal example or a story that I think maybe is helpful, helps me understand what I believe is God's posture to us towards prayer? I shared last week with you a, a personal story about my dad and his, a, his drug addiction. And I've been thinking since then, like, um, I'm very happy to share my life with all of you. I want you to know things about me. I'm a real person just like you are. But that's not the whole story about my dad, you know. And then in some ways it's unfair that that's the only thing you know about him. Because the truth is, um, he's a lot of things. One of them is that he's a songwriter and a musician. My dad deeply loves words, poetry, mystery. And his love for words, poetry, and mystery, I think, have played as much a role in shaping me into who I am as anything else in the world. Every time I write or read, and I sometimes when I preach, I can hear his love for words, his love for mystery, reflected in what I say or what I write. And when I can kind of hear my dad in myself, I feel a kind of pride. I'm reminded that I'm his kid. I'm reminded that I came from somewhere, that a lot of things have shaped me into who I am. And the hope for me is that when he hears those things coming out of me, he also feels really proud, the same way I do. Now when my son is able to give voice to things, I know that he's been taught, passions that have been given to him, things that have shaped him. There are Sundays when I watch him hold his hands out to pray like this. He's five. And I think, well, I don't really know why he's doing that. I don't know what's going on in there. But what it reminds me of is like, that's my kid. He's been shaped and formed by me. And now he's modeling it back out into the world. Here's what I think is happening when we pray. I think something similar takes place. When you are able to pray out of your love for people, your heart for justice, your insistence that the world be better and things would be made right, 
that little kids wouldn't die and be sick, that families wouldn't be split apart, that people wouldn't go without justice, that you are, in fact, giving voice to something that you've been handed. That love that you feel, the hope for healing, that justice, it comes from somewhere outside of yourself. It's not your own. It's not just a reflection of me being a good person or wanting good things. All that love for justice and healing and restoration, God has formed in me and in you. So when we give voice to those things, we are actually giving voice to the fact that we're created, that we have a father, that I'm a child. Those things have been instilled in me. So when the psalmist says, for example, as he does in Psalm 146, this list of really beautiful things where he says, the Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down and loves the righteous, watches over the stranger, upholds the orphan and the widow. On the one hand, he's praising God for doing these things. But I will tell you, as much as he is praising God for having done those things, he is also calling God to something. Do you know what I mean? Reminding God that you're the one who does this. This is who you are. And I know who you are because I've been in relationship with you. I've been made in your image, been shaped by you. Prayer is proof, it's evidence that God's word, that the words of your father are shaping your heart, your mind, your love for the world. And so when you give voice to the things that you want in prayer, I just need you to know God feels really proud of those prayers. Less true when we pray for things like parking spaces and fancy cars. Or even in Jesus help me, I'll get emails, even for the Braves to win. <laughs> Prayer gives voice to my loves. And at their best, my loves have been shaped by my very good father from whom all good things have come. And so my, if my prayers give voice to those things, then my life will be shaped by those things as well. If my life is shaped by those things, my prayers will be. So here's the thing for you. I, I just want you to know the impulses that you feel to make things right, they're good and godly. God gave them to you. And he wants you to work them out with him in prayer. Social media cannot give us the change or make the difference that we need. It can't. All of the money in the world, you earning more and more, it cannot make the difference in you and for you that you want to have made in your life. It can't. My intellect, skills, and abilities will not be able to shape this church or our future my life, the way that it needs to be shaped, it just won't. Because all those things come from outside of me and you. That's the difference only God can make. So when we pray, we call him to things. We give voice to what we believe and who we believe him to be. So even if it feels like you have to start somewhere, can you start with that? Can you start knowing that you have a father who loves you and who wants to shape the world through you and you don't even have to believe it or feel it to pray. You just come before God and tell the truth. Here's my practical 
exhortation to you. Read a little bit of the Bible if you're starting to pray. And then tell God what you want to tell him. Commit to doing that for these next few weeks, particularly if prayer is a struggle. Just read a little bit and then pray. And try to do it consistently. Some of you have been praying for a long time. You've got all the techniques and tricks. You know how to do it. But all of us, the truth is, are always beginners. There is, for those of you who have been doing this a long time, a new depth of intimacy that God wants to invite you into with his spirit. I believe that's true for all of us. Commit some space to read a little bit of God's word, the words of your father. Get to know who he is and then pray. And this rhythm will inform not just our praying but our living. Over these next few weeks, we're going to talk about prayer, some of the techniques that we can do, practical things. But I will tell you, there is no, like, secret trick method to solve all of your questions or struggles. Some of those struggles are part of it. We're meant to bring them into the way we pray. And there's no substitute for just deciding that you're going to do it. I'll end here by telling you, a few years ago, I taught a class here at Trinity on prayer. 120 people signed up. I thought, that's amazing. I really want to pray. And we had the first class, and I said, what we're going to do is for these next six weeks, we're going to commit to praying three times a day. And the next week, 70 people came. Hmm. Now, that could be because I'm not a great teacher. It could also be reflective of the fact that we just, it, I get it. It's like, man... It's the doing it, you know, that is sometimes the struggle. Rather than hearing a God who is frustrated at you perpetually, can you have in your mind a father who longs to form you into his likeness because he wants to work through you? His likeness is really, really good. And you're safe there. And just see what happens. Let's stand together if we're able.